the key, I think, to building your intuitive muscle is starting to really look at where do you want to go? What do you want to connect with? How do you want to be in five years? What does your future look like? And not be obsessed about it, but start to open up the idea that if you're just caught up in the cycles of habit, you're going to get more of the same. When you start to put your sights a little bit farther and you know, part of it is you have to feel it, you have to see it, you have to use your kind of inner compass and start to really listen. I, I pay attention a lot to my physical body. Hello and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter and I'm here with my co-host Marnie Dotches marmette We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we have a couple of quick announcements. We would love for you to join us in our 60-day Thrive During the Summertime program. And this program is something Marnie and I created based on many conversations with you over the years that it's often hard to balance having fun in the summer with keeping true to your intentions and your priorities around your health and well-being. We want you to achieve balance in your life this summer. Have fun, thrive, keep true to your goals and intentions, but still wake up in September feeling amazing in your own skin. So this Thrive During the Summertime program is exactly what you need if you want to prioritize your health and well-being during the summer while still having fun. We know how it is. A lot of us have kids and we get busy in the summer, especially now that things are opening up after the pandemic. And it's hard to meal plan and prep and find foods to nourish your body and make sure you're prioritizing yourself because if you're feeling energized and fabulous, everyone around you will as well. Don't let your health take a back seat this summer. Join us. It's a 60-day program. You can click the link in the show notes for more details and to sign up. You won't want to miss this opportunity to be with a supportive and amazing group of women to help you stay true to your goals and intentions and have the best summer ever. I think we all deserve it after the last 12 plus months. And I know Marnie and I are really looking forward to this because honestly, we need this just as much as you do. And then one more quick announcement. We just have a favor to ask of each of you. If you are enjoying this podcast, could you please take just two minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast? Doing so really helps us reach more people so that others can benefit from the inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. And if you if you love this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend, family member, or anyone else who you think may benefit from this information. We are thrilled to introduce today's guest, Tanya Boygenzon. Tanya is the founder and director of the Devanati School of Yoga and Wellness and is an Ayurveda yoga therapist, a Thai yoga bodywork practitioner, and a Reiki master. She is honored to be one of the first para-yoga level three teachers and certified four desires trainers in the world, and is a lifetime seeker and student. 
In 2013, Tanya was selected by Origin Magazine as one of the top 100 yogis changing the world in their powerful leaders issue. She is also affiliated with the Himalayan Institute and is a featured teacher on yogainternational.com. Tanya offers amazing yoga retreats to areas around the world, such as Thailand, India, and Costa Rica. Marnie and I are already talking about joining her on one of her upcoming retreats. Tanya's transformative work as a teacher is to empower her students with authentic and time-tested tools and teachings to help them reach their highest potential with faith and skill. And after just recently completing her 235-hour yoga teacher training program, I can say that it was one of the most transformative experiences that I've had and definitely the highlight of this past year. Tanya is a lifelong learner and she has this passion to share all of this knowledge and wisdom and experiences with everyone and she really opens up in this episode today. During our conversation with Tanya, she shares her inspirational story about how she healed herself during college from a mystery illness that was significantly impacting her quality of life. Frustrated by the lack of answers she received from her medical community, she started listening to her body and take control of her own health, which is when her yoga journey began. Many of us consider yoga as a purely physical practice. I know I did when I first stepped foot on the mat years ago, but there is so much more to it that takes the students to the next level to build more strength in our mind and trust ourselves. Tanya loves sharing how you can really work through your stuff to be a stronger being and pursue your passion in life. And she shares a bit in today's episode about Ayurveda and how you can apply those philosophies to your yoga practice. She also talks about her daily habits and shares her tips that she does to help her stay in tune with her intuition and live a life of joy and passion. And that really comes out through this conversation today. Tanya was clearly called to do this work, and we can't wait to share her infinite wisdom and inspiration with you today. Today's episode is filled with so much inspiration. So regardless of whether you've been practicing yoga for years or have never stepped on a mat, we know you're going to love this conversation. But before we jump into today's conversation with Tanya, let's hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Appetite for Change. Appetite for Change is a nonprofit in North Minneapolis that uses food as a tool for health, wealth, and social change. This year, in light of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, Appetite for Change has continued to ground themselves in their mission and center their work around community connection and nourishing food. They launched a pilot program called Community Cooks Meal Boxes, which provides fresh produce and pantry items plus two recipes for over 300 families at no cost to the family. The program has been such a success that it has been extended for another six weeks and will continue into 2021. AFC has utilized the kitchens of their two restaurants, Breaking Bread Cafe and Station 81, to produce over 200,000 meals that have been distributed across the Twin Cities to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need. In addition, they have seven farm plots across North Minneapolis that are tended to by community members and Appetite for Change youth learning how to grow a variety of plants. These fresh fruits and vegetables are distributed throughout the north side. 
Even in 2021, Appetite for Change is committed to building a more equitable food system by delivering fresh and nourishing food to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need, tending urban gardens, and more. We have been collaborating with Appetite for Change over this past year, and we have loved their dedication to their mission, and we so look forward to volunteering with their organization and working with them more in 2021. To learn more about Appetite for Change, listen to episode 31 of our podcast with one of their founders, Michelle Horowitz. For more information or to donate, head on over to appetiteforchangemn.org backslash impact or on Instagram and Facebook at Appetite for Change. Before we get started today with Tanya, we just want to do a quick shout out to all our listeners from all over the world. We have a huge number of listeners in India and Mexico, Canada, Australia, the UK, Spain, and a number of other countries. And that's been so exciting. Keep listening, send us messages, and thank you for your support. Tanya, we are so excited for our conversation today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Art of Living Well podcast. And we met this fall when I started your 235-hour yoga teacher training program through Devanati School of Yoga and Wellness. And, you know, I started the program for my own personal development and healing journey, and it has just exceeded my expectations and honestly has been the highlight of this past year. And even via Zoom, now that we've been, you know, remote for the last couple of months, your energy and enthusiasm is just so contagious and your immense knowledge really comes through loud and clear. You know, there are many teacher training programs out there. And what I love about yours and what I deeply connect with is your holistic view of yoga. And I know many people, including Marnie and myself, we first step on the mat for the physical practice and struggle to slow down and clear our minds. But what I've deeply connected with over the past several months is the emotional and mental aspects of the program and how meditation and the mantras and breath work can be more powerful than all the yoga postures. So we're excited for you to share all your knowledge with us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And thanks for making the time to talk with me. Tanya, everyone has a story. And when I heard yours at the beginning of my yoga teacher training program, I was so inspired and I knew immediately that you had to come on our show. So we'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your story and how you healed yourself and your journey and then how you ultimately came to found Devanati. Uh, Yeah. So as a young woman in my teens and early twenties, I was in college. I was a pre-med major and it wasn't that I knew I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. I just thought this could be something I could be good at. And I like helping people. And I was always interested in health and well-being. but I got sick in college. I had some mystery illness, you know, it was autoimmune stuff today. If we look at it that way, it was probably categorized as something in that regard, but I went to see all these doctors and specialists and Nobody gave me any, you know, diagnosis or help. I just got passed from one person to the next, this blood test, that's blood test. Here's an antibiotic, try this. And after four months of doing that, I felt more confused and defeated than ever. And I was really sick. Like I had migraines all the time. I was passing out. I had no energy, you know, just kind of weird um, autoimmune symptoms. You know, I probably ended up having mono, but it was beyond that. And we don't really know what was the whole thing. And, and honestly, it's kind of nice to not know. I just know that that was a turning point for me. But one day I went to see a new doctor in town and he's like, well, you just have a brain tumor. So we're going to start the protocol on that. No testing. No, you know, he just said this big thing to me and that woke me up. I was like, this is a bunch of BS. 
I'm sick of this being passed around. Like I don't matter. And um, it, it, that was just my experience. I, I have great doctors today and people I work with, but that experience at that time was perfectly arranged for me to look and say, I'm going to take control over my health. I'm going to look into other things. I'm going to start to look at my patterns. How did I get here? The next day I was in class and a friend of mine was there and I was explaining this story. I was just renewed with this vigor of, I'm going to go figure this out myself. And he's like, well, you need to start doing yoga. Of course, your chakras are all messed up. And I'm like, of course. And so I was a meditator for about five years at that time. I got into meditation when I was 15, just watching thoughts and helping to learn how to control my witness so I could see that I was not my thoughts. So I already had some experience with that. And I dabbled a little bit in reading about yoga, but I, you know, like many people, especially back in the early nineties, when I started practicing yoga postures, I thought yoga would be something I would do when I got older because I was an athlete. And I was like, well, that's just, you know, I'll have that there when I'm older. When my friend said this, I just knew there was a place of knowing in me that was that same feeling I felt the day before. I was like, this is, this is something meaningful, pay attention. And I just knew that yoga was going to help me. And so I went out and I bought the Shivananda companion to yoga and I read it cover to cover. And I was like, yes, this is it. This makes sense to me. This is my language. I know this. And so I started living that yoga lifestyle. I started, you know, being mindful with my breath, um, with more meditation and having a little bit more robust practice. And I started doing the yoga poses too. And then of course, just always being somebody interested in spirituality and philosophy, I always have been that way. I started just eating up anything I could find about yoga uh, philosophy and, you know, other practices around healing and wellness and holistic healing. And I ended up actually taking a three credit course um, my senior year on complementary and alternative healthcare practices just for fun. And that just planted tons of seeds for me. So long story short, I ended up not becoming a doctor, I switched majors and I decided I was going to travel the world and write and um, become a professor of literature later in life. That was kind of my plan. I had to have a plan, you know, but I just knew that knowing became so strong me that as I started to practice yoga, I knew that I had a different path and it wasn't in the curriculum of a university and I knew I was going to figure it out. And that's kind of it. All these little breadcrumbs started being placed in front of me and I kept following them. And part of that, I think, was just that place of knowing became rich for me because at an early age, I started looking at who am I? So, and that's a great place to start for anybody because when you start to see yourself and your patterns, you start to really become interested in how you got to where you're at. And if you don't like where you're at today, you know, part of it's what are all the things you did in the past that got you here? And then you can start to make changes. And that's really where you start to gain more personal power and get out of habituation and, and out of your story, you know, that you create. So that's it. And so anyway, long story short, I traveled the world. I did all these things. I ended up thinking about becoming a teacher. I was going to go get my master's in teaching. And so I became a substitute teacher for about a year and a half. This is when I was traveling and doing all these things. I lived in Wyoming for a year and a half and I started teaching yoga there. That's a whole separate story. But as I was teaching in these schools as a sub, I was like, this is great, but it's not going to fulfill me. I need something else. So I left there and I moved to Portland, Oregon. I got into the dot-com industry and I got creative and doing all this stuff, but I still was teaching yoga on the side. And when I first started teaching yoga, I knew like, oh, this is what I meant to do. So that was when I was 23. And I just thought, well, I'll do this dot-com thing, this 
pays me good money. It's really fun. This is the time to do it. I kind of took advantage of that, uh, what we would call in the yoga tradition, Arta, that support to kind of set me up for a while. And then eventually I could transfer my energy over to the, you know, holistic arts. And that just happened a little earlier than I thought because of the dot-com bust, which I was also a part of. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do? Try to go find a job again. And there's no jobs because everybody got laid off or take all this energy now that I have skills to create my own branding and website and do all that. And I, I gave myself a year to do it. I moved back to the Twin Cities. I planted those seeds and here we are today, 20 years later. So that's wow. my story. It, it's amazing how I'm always amazed to hear people's stories of how young they are when they discover, like when they are tuning into themselves and figuring out who they are, because it took me so much longer <laughs> to get there. And so I think that's amazing that at 23, you kind of knew your path and you're still in it. Um, I don't know how old you are now, but I'm assuming it's been a while. Yeah, I love your story. And I'm wondering, I know the name of your studio now is Devanati. Can you tell us the meaning behind that? Yeah. Um, so that name is an interesting name too. The, the meaning of the name is something like this. So if you break it into two words, Deva, Deva is a word that translates as kind of like God-like or shining beings, you know, people filled with light, divinity within. And then Nadi is the word, uh, means stream or river. And in the yoga tradition, we often talk about Nadis in the relationship of the, the meridians or the, well, the ch channels of energy in the body that conduct prana or life force. So we, sometimes we call it like the river of sacred teachings or bright souls coming together to share in wisdom and, and, and practice. I love and, that. That's yeah. beautiful. And my son's name is River. And so I really wanted something about rivers in my name. And the first name of Devanati was this, uh, the th three rivers. And part of it is because the um, part of the holistic approach is we study yoga philosophy, tantric philosophy, and Ayurveda. And it's something part of uh, other traditions that I practice. And, and I loved that. And I called my first teacher training, the Three Rivers Program, and then I went to go like make the URL for the website and it was already taken. I'm like, how did I miss that? I swear I checked it out before. You know, I'm very careful about that, but it, it didn't work. And so I go back to the Sanskrit English dictionary online, which I had checked before many times because I wanted something with this rivers idea. And then this word just spoke to me, Devadati. It was never there before, I swear to God. So um, it just came. So again, it was another aha moment. So it's definitely I, what I love about what, I do even, you know, just, you know, anybody running a business, there's always business things to do, but I love what I do because it feels very auspicious. Like there's definitely been points where I'm getting that feedback along the way that yes, you're, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it brings a great sense of joy and satisfaction. And it's, it's so clear that you have that joy, Tanya, just in everything that you do. And you talked a little bit when you were sharing your story about intuition and so it's clear you've done a lot of the deep work over the years, but can you share how with our listeners, how to trust your inner voice, especially for people that don't even know where to start? Like you clearly have this gift at a very young age. And like Marnie said, so many people don't get to where you are as far as figuring out your calling until much later in life. I think I could speak for myself here too, but just what, what words of wisdom do you have Ooh. about trusting your inner voice? 
Yeah. Um, it's such a question that comes up all the time. I think I teach more about that than anything else. And I love teaching and sharing about that because it's really important. We can spend tons of our precious energy on things that we're not really into and get us not where we want to go. So the key, I think, to building your intuitive muscle is starting to really look at where do you want to go? What do you want to connect with? How do you want to be in five years? What does your future look like? And not be obsessed about it, but start to open up the idea that if you're just caught up in the cycles of habit, you're going to get more of the same. And so when you start to put your sights a little bit farther and you know, part of it is you have to feel it, you have to see it, you have to use your kind of inner compass and, and, and start to really listen. I, I pay attention a lot to my physical body, you know, when something, you know, kind of ruminating over, you know, a problem or a question or, you know, what am I going to do about this? I, I let my body tell me, you know, I, when it feels right, I get a sense of ease. My nervous system lets down. Um, when I feel like I haven't solved the problem, a lot of times it still feels revved or my heart will race a little bit. And I've had to train myself to not just act and do things if I don't feel clear, especially around certain things. And then if I'm just so sick of being stuck in the same place and I haven't got that feedback, sometimes you have to have the, the take the risk and courage to step forward and get out of that so you can start to relate to it differently. And sometimes you'll know right away, oh, I don't want to do this or I do want to do that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a game. You have to know when to take a step forward and you got to kind of know when to hold. And if you don't know, take the step anyway, you can always turn around and head back. I, I love that advice. And I think so many of us are like stuck in our heads. And I think with just social media and everything going on, as we record this, we're still in a pandemic. So there's lots of noise and interference, right? So like practically speaking, what can someone do? Like what are your, maybe even some of your daily habits to help you? Yes. Um, every morning I start my day, I light a candle and I, I basically say a prayer of intention to just turn on that higher faculty of mind to say, Hey, it's, you know, forces that be, and you can say this to whatever you think of as, you know, divine or universal you know, show me what I need to know today to help me on my path, you know, to fulfill my purpose in this life in a sustainable way, uh, to be supported in my health and my time and my resources, my finances, my practice and things that I need to grow. And then show me what I need to know so that I have a sense of pleasure, happiness, love, uh, cozy and intimacy, all the things that we kind of work really hard for, but sometimes we miss out on beauty, art, and then also freedom and feeling liberated from burdens because you can work really hard and still feel free. Um, but there's also certain relationships we have that often feel constraining. And a lot of times you can have an attitude adjustment and feel really grateful for them. So that's like my morning prayer. I really feel that just that alone allows me then to go out through my day and I start to be more curious things that I'm hearing. Sometimes that feedback will come and, um, I'm more in alignment. And then sometimes when I'm really feeling not very clear, my intuition's not very open. Again, there's, you know, do I need to know this answer right now? You know, sometimes we just think we need to know everything, but a lot of times it's actually, I think our higher self just kind of saying, Hey, just stay the course. You don't need to know everything going on. And so I try to respect that, but also there's a lot of different cool practices too. There's ways to get your, that kind of, um, if your mind is really distracted in the yoga tradition, there's ways to pull that energy in and ground it uh, so that it can slow the brain down. 
And there's also ways to, if you're feeling dull, to break that energy up so you can get more light into the mind. That, that, those are awesome. Just very simple, practical suggestions that I think a lot of people don't do. You know, they start their day first thing, looking at the phone and getting into work or life. Right. And so I think it's just taking, and it's five minutes. It doesn't need to be a long, extensive practice. And I think sometimes when people think about sitting and meditating and lighting a candle, it's like, oh, I don't have, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes in the morning, but five minutes, right. is all you For really sure. need. Yeah. Even just a short gratitude list, you know, you can do that in bed before you even step onto the ground. A couple things you're grateful for. That's actually been proven to improve the quality of your life. Just mm-hmm. you know, doing something like that. I completely agree. And now we will take a quick break from this episode to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you been thinking about a new home build, remodel, or even rework of a smaller space in your home? We have all spent more time in our homes over the past year, and many people are trying to recreate spaces in their homes to bring more joy and functionality to fit their lifestyles. It can be really hard to know where to turn, but Sarah and Marcy, co-founders of Chisel Architecture, are the experts that will help you gain clarity and confidence around your project. One of the unique aspects of Chisel Architecture that sets them apart from others is their trademark design approach called Pattern of Life. This approach is a game changer for homeowners and how they experience the design process. Marcy and Sarah really listen to you to fully understand your needs and advocate for you during both the design and implementation process. When you think about your home environment and how it supports you, Chisel Architecture believes your overall well-being should be in the mix. Sarah and Marcy want you to live well in your home because they are so passionate on their design approach They have a special offer for our listeners. Book a two-hour consultation and receive $50 off. Simply email them at hello at chiselarc.com. That's at H-E-L-L-O at C-H-I-S-E-L-A-R-C-H dot com. And mention the Art of Living Well podcast to receive your $50 off. Consultations must be booked by June 30th to take advantage of this offer. Can we dive in a little deeper to Devanati and how you bring, you were talking about, you know, what you used to call the Three Rivers program, but how you bring, you know, Tantra, yoga, and Ayurveda kind of all together. I love that you are doing that and I'd love to be hear more about it. Yeah, there's actually four rivers too. So, um, you know, uh, we also work with energy medicine. So I'm a Reiki master and healing touch certified practitioner. Everything that we do at Devanati is all around energy, management of energy, cultivation of energy, cleaning energy, building energy. And really the word we're talking about our life force, prana. And without um, prana going in a particular direction or it being vital or strong, I mean, you're just, things can't evolve and change. And so one of the premises of the tantric philosophy, uh, tantra is a, is a philosophy or worldview that everything is all interconnected and it all comes from the divine. But what blocks us from seeing that is our own you know, veil of ignorance, really. And so the practices that uh, fall under tantra could be yoga, Ayurveda, um, all other types of things, certain types of lifestyle, certain types of you know, aligning with certain cosmic energies or whatever. There's, it's the umbrella over everything. 
And um, as a school of Tantra Kata Yoga, we use the yoga mat and the practices of, you know, the things that we're familiar with in yoga, asanas, postures, breathing, meditation. And then we do work with the prana internally to clean it, build it, expand it, and then let that prana touch areas in our life through the mind to increase its vitality. So we become, we become masters of our own energy. So it's a system of energy management. And so Ayurveda and yoga work together because these two are sister sciences as well. And yoga is a philosophy. It's actually a dualistic philosophy where it's like, you know, you're here in the world and then here, there's a part of you that is unchanged. It's, it's, you know, your soul or whatever you want to call it. We call it um, your svarupa, this part of you that is um, just resting in your own essence. But to get there, to get to the place where you see clearly and you um, see yourself clearly, we do things that move us to the state of yoga. So in the yoga philosophy, it's both a state and a means. We do yoga practices to get to the state of yoga. And even the word in our culture, we say yoga, but it's really yoga. <laughs> We're still trying to get there. Yoga is when you get there. You're like, I, I don't need anything. There's nothing that I'm separate from. The other things about yoga philosophy is it tries to help you learn to separate from what you are not. And that's part of its great mastery. It's really a practice for the mind, even though in our culture today, we make it very physical. The physical is just to burn off the parts of the body that we've acquired or out of balance so that you can see yourself more clearly. That's its goal is to be a support for the mental practices. And that's something that we're really passionate about at Devanati is because we have so many classes going on in our culture that are very physical, but we got to up level and take it into the mind and start to use all this great physical strength and flexibility we've been working on and now learn to sit and build that strength and flexibility in the mind. So I'm super passionate about that. That is the mission of our school is to create teachers who can take students to the next level. They are ready to build these stronger practices to help create um, more strength in our constitution and in our, um, our, our trust in ourself and really take, you know, ownership of working through your stuff so that you can be a stronger, you know, being in your own circles and also then in whatever purpose you have in your life. And then Ayurveda, that is the science of health and well-being. Um, and so that's really more, you don't have to practice any yoga to practice Ayurveda. Ayurveda is really just looking at your nature, kind of what you're born with, and then how you've changed from that kind of set point, and then helping you uh, return to that kind of natural set point that you're born with. And there's things like diet, lifestyle, and yoga practices too. We At Devanati, what Stephanie's learning is how to practice Ayurvedically for your nature constitution. If somebody's really got a lot of moving parts or minds all over the place, they might be gravitating to a practice that has a lot of movement because it feels really normal, but it actually is putting more movement into their system. And it, in the long term, it could actually end up creating problems down the road. And you know, you don't really know that until you get older because those things start to show up as repetitive stress. It, it, it's kind of a neat way to look at the application more therapeutically in the yoga, in the yoga uh, tradition. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because, so I also did a 300 hour training a while ago. And when I first learned about Ayurveda, I had never even heard the word. And I was so excited about it because it all made so much sense to me. 
So I kind of dove into it and I went and saw an Ayurvedic practitioner in Minneapolis to kind of have her, you know, read my pulse and do the whole workup. And when I told her that I, at the time, had been doing a lot of like core power yoga, she's like, oh no, she's like, you're, you know, vata and vata pitta, and that's the worst thing you can do. And you should be doing restorative yoga and calming yourself down. And so hearing everything you're saying is just like making a lot of sense. Yeah. It's um, the philosophy is beautiful that the links um, Yurveda and yoga together, Sankhya philosophy. And it's like where we hear about the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. That's all really aspects of the mind and its qualities. And so, you know, that starts to pepper into everything that you do in your life. You can start to see, oh, I'm attracted to these foods, but if I have a lot of fire and I have a lot of fire symptoms, like redness in my skin or acid reflux, or I'm irritable, and then I go eat a bunch of spicy food, it's putting fire on fire. Now, when the intellect is sharpened, you'll start to see all that pattern. That's actually maybe not so great for me. But when we're in the realm of the lower mind, the senses say, that's yummy. I want more of that. And you don't see how they connect. And that's, you know, when you start to, and again, you know, everybody's where they're at, but sometimes you have to become miserable enough in order to be willing to look somewhere different than where you've been, (laughs) or you just have to change your intention. You know, that's the other thing too. You're like, oh, I just want to feel more comfortable in my body. I want to have radiant health. All right. Well, what, where are areas in my life where I'm actually contributing through my actions, thoughts, and speech and creating excessive imbalances. And then what do I do about it? So Tanya, where can someone go to start diving in a little bit to the Ayurveda philosophy? Like I know there's quizzes that you can do. There's so many out there. Mm-hmm. And we did a couple. I had done them before. I've actually done it with my whole family. I did little printouts for them. Awesome. Um, I thought was super interesting. And now I, I make observations on a regular basis about <laughs> especially my husband and my daughter, because they're just a little bit different from myself and my other two sons. So can you share a couple of the resources and maybe just any simple daily lifestyle practices that really would probably help anyone, regardless of which constitution you fall in? Or... Sure. Okay. So, I mean, Ayurveda, it, it's kind of like acupuncture was in the seventies. It took a little bit, but then it became kind of status quo. And now Ayurveda is really becoming more of a common little bit more of a household philosophy, but I mean, there are plenty of places online. Um, you know, even Deepak Chopra, I mean, he is a physician who teaches Ayurveda, but he uses our language. And so mm-hmm. if you go look at his stuff, it's all Ayurveda. And he's become really great at being that kind of person who bridges the gap between a foreign kind of health system and what we're used to. But I mean, I read his book, Perfect Digestion back in the 90s. And it was all like, you know, chew your food 25 times, make sure you're eating and not stimulating yourself. It's all the Ayurvedic principles. So for somebody who's kind of like, I want to be, I don't want to get all these weird Sanskrit terms. He's got some stuff. There's, um, oh gosh, there's, my friend Katie Silcox has an Ayurveda school online that you can take for women. Um, James Bailey is a teacher. We host at Devanati Yoga and he does um, different workshops. He also has an Ayurveda wellness counselor program Hmm. that is open to everybody. The level one is really like, if you want to learn more about your, um, your constitution, as well as how to help other people. So it's great for you if you want to use it in your home with your friends, but if you want to then go to the next level and start to learn how to work with clients, he has a three tiered uh, program for that. And, um, 
Catherine Templeton out of the Himalayan Institute. She has an Ayurveda yoga specialist training, which is more for the yogi. Um, I did that program and taught in that program for a little while, but um, that course will have a good foundation um, that will help people learn and grow. And then um, one of my teachers too, Indu Aurora, she's an amazing Ayurveda yoga specialist or Ayurveda yoga therapist. That's where I did my Ayurvedic yoga therapy training with. And she does uh, shorter courses on kind of richer chunks of that. In fact, um, she leads a workshop in our 300 hour teacher training too on some of those workshops too. Uh, but you can go places too. Like uh, some years ago, I went to do an Ayurvedic cleanse called Panchakarma down in New Mexico at Basset Lodge's uh, school. And then they have a separate arm where they do that kind of one-on-one work. And uh, at that time I was dealing with newly acquired asthma. And there's some weird stuff that I had trying to figure out where it came from. But they, when I got on the phone and I made the appointment, they said, it'll be gone in two days. And I got down there and it was gone in two days. So there's places that wow. you can go. And that's really a part of the Ayurvedic healthcare system is if you come in once a week or once a month, or in, like how we do it in our culture, you go in once a year for a checkup, it's going to be harder for you to manage those symptoms that have built up over a long period of time. Instead, you kind of go in and you separate yourself from the world and just get to it. And your body will have to call, you know, get more quiet as it detoxes. But it's like you turn those cells over more quickly and you can create some really powerful healing. So, so can you recommend like, like, that's awesome. All these resources and we're writing them down and we'll try and link up as many as we can in the show notes. But what about just like some simple daily lifestyle practices that someone could try at home? If they're just like hearing this word for the first time and maybe want to Google it and dabble Mm -hmm. a little bit to check it out. Yeah. The, the thing I always share with students when I teach Ayurveda is start to get familiar with the five elements. The elements don't lie. Once you understand what the elements are in their nature, you'll start to see them in you, in your daily routine, and in your foods and things like that. So think about earth. Earth element, of course, we can go outside and look at dirt, but earth is stable. It's solid. It supports. So think of a person who's, we say that's an earthy person. They're going to have those qualities, right? Then think about water. That's going to be liquid. It's going to be bonding. It's going to, water is so cool because it doesn't have a shape. Its shape is determined by what holds it. So it always kind of, you know, somebody who's really watery likes to come in and like fill in the gaps and here, how can I help you? And how do I connect the dots? And they're often a peacemaker and emotional. They kind of have that kind of, um, you know, connective energy. Uh, fire element is going to transform. It's going to metabolize. It's going to chew on things. It's going to bring light and radiance. It also ages things too, right? You leave foods in the sun and they like bananas are going to ripen faster than if they're somewhere else. So people who have a lot of fire tend to be sharp. They tend to be intellectual. They often can get a little irritable. They like a lot of space. Like if you put somebody who's really fiery in a intense schedule or a lot of work, or they don't have a break, they're going to freak out. (laughs) So you gotta gotta give that person space, you know? Um, And then the air element, which is actually wind, like it's all kinds of movements and it's the movement of the wind outside. It's the movement of our nervous system. It's the movement of all the things that animate us. Like I had, I think I want to touch my eyebrow. Something has to happen to travel and animate that. 
Um, so people who tend to have a lot of wind tend to be really comfortable with movement. They like change. They like creativity. They tend to, you know, see things from many perspectives. They're often the muse for somebody else who tends to have more of that steady, you know, focus. Um, and then the ether element we sometimes call space. So that's the container for everything, really. So it's the biggest element, but it's the most subtle. And when you think about that, it's like the space that you're in, the space where everything can happen. There's a space mind, space inside our bodies. And so somebody who has a lot of space, I mean, they're going to have other elements too with them, but you know, sometimes they can be spacey or they can be very vast or very, uh, you know, go beyond the beyond with their expansive understanding. But um, I mean, think of somebody too, like your hair might go like this or uh, you know what I mean? There's just things that will show up in your constitution that demonstrate the qualities that you're born with. And these qualities are determined at the moment of conception because you get cells from your mom and your dad that bring in a predetermined kind of constitutional state of how much of these elements you'll have. And everybody has all five, of course, but you will have a different balance of them. And then your environment will change that too. You can build elements as you adapt, but then in the long run, they may not allow you to thrive because it's not really efficient for you. So look at the elements, start to see, oh, I tend to be really earthy or I'm kind of fiery. And once you start to see who you are, look out into the world and be like, what kind of foods am I attracted to? What kind of people am I attracted to? It's really fun to look at couples and be like, sometimes like attracts like, and sometimes like somebody who's really earthy is, uh, loves that kind of windy movement oriented person because that enlightens or brightens that person's life and the windy person likes the grounded earthy person because it can help them stay focused so that's what i say go to first and then um even when you're eating your food look at your food and be like what is earth okay here's a carrot you know and here's you know what's what's fiery on the plate oh i have some hot sauce and then what's uh like when you get into the plants that are above the ground. You have things that are going to be more etheric. And by eating those foods, you're going to build those qualities just by what you eat. So food is always medicine in Ayurveda. So start there. I love those tips. So pivoting a little bit, you know, just, it's really apparent, Tanya, that you are someone who practices and believes in selfless service. How do you, how do you joyfully show up every day for yourself and for others? You know, cause it's a balance and you're an entrepreneur and you've wear all these different hats, um, especially during this pandemic, you know, how do you continue to rise up despite challenges and just the every day-to-day, everyday stresses? Um, that's such a great question. I believe for me, um, I feel really grateful. I mean, again, going back to that 23-year-old Tanya and getting that insight of like, this is what I meant to do. Everything makes sense. And then how do you all evolve from there? So Every day, I mean, sure, um, you know, we have to do all the different back end running of the business stuff, but I'm so grateful that it is in the service of these teachings and um, to be in community with so many great people. Because when I was doing the other career paths, I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And I knew that my time could be spent doing something that really kept my energy high. So I feel that... um, Gratitude is important. I also, again, I start the day with that prayer. I also have done a lot of work in my practice to get clear on 
what are things I need to show up for for myself? What practices do I need to do? I meditate every day. And especially since the new year, I've I committed to doing longer meditation. I'm doing about 40 minutes a day. And you know, before I had my son, I was doing about an hour a day. So I'm kind of like, I'm still going to get there. But just with all the things that have built in my life, it feels great to kind of give myself that time, um, which has been really important because I've been healing from a surgery and I needed more time since I'm not moving to metabolize all that mental stuff. And it's, it's allowed me to have a container for that. So meditation is key. I do do some Ayurvedic daily practices. I scrape my tongue every day. I drink hot water with lemon. A lot of these things are done in the morning and it just, that routine, that ritual of self-care, that's really, I think, what allows me to show up regularly. I have to walk the walk. I don't have a lot of bad habits. I don't spend a lot of time watching shows. You know, I go to bed at a regular hour. I feel, I'm really feeling called to do this work and I want to, I want to do it well. And so I kind of have a, I don't indulge in a lot of things that maybe would take my time away. I think i worked through some of that stuff when I was younger, when I saw opportunities that I didn't want to miss and look back and have regrets that I didn't take them. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And I'm guessing that's how you're inspiring others to step into their own authentic life is by leading by example and living the life yourself. You know, one question I have for you that sometimes I think about and struggle with is, you know, as I've studied yoga and meditation and You hear about the idea of kind of getting to that higher, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but like the higher yogi self, where you're almost like disconnected from yourself, looking at yourself from this point of, you know, no connection, no emotion, you know, almost monk-like. And I wonder why a person would want to get to that point. Because to me, like part of life is, is living and having, you know, having some desires and, and wants and splurges and ups and downs. And I I don't know if you can answer that question, but it always is on my mind when I read about getting to that, you know, extreme point of your yogi self. I love this question. Thank you for asking me. I'll try to be concise. I, I, I hear you on this question. I feel like this is something when you start to go down any spiritual path, or path of self-discovery, at some point you, you've had the Kool-Aid. You can't really go back, right? Your ignorance of bliss no longer stands up. You can't be the self you were before. So with it, you know, that's this metaphor of the dark night of the soul. You're like, oh my God, I can't go back. But yet to go forward, I got to face some of my fears. I got to face some of my shadow. I have to keep growing. And so that's why a practice, uh, teachers, a tradition, something that is valid and proven to work, that's really helpful. So you don't have to go it alone because sometimes you'll attract things that really are (laughs) not very supportive. So that's one thing. But as we go forward and we get more clear on who we are, really what I've learned is, you know, if there's any fear about getting this place, or maybe it's kind of like, meh, there's no desire left. The teachings tell us this, but until we feel it ourselves, we have to either go forward with faith or want something different. Again, it always comes down to that. 
But the teachings say that that place where you start to, you know, it's this void, it's a void, it's called shunya. It literally means the void where you get to this place where your identity is no longer defined by all these labels or acquired content is the word we often use. But then where do you go after that? And so this is really where yoga and tantra intersect that there are practices that then, you know, at some point you evolve beyond that and you see yourself as divine. And then you are everything and yet nothing. So that's that where that duality comes together. And you get flashes of this in your life. And that's what I wanted to kind of come back to that. It's actually, it might seem really far away, but just think about the times in your life when you were just completely thriving, you know, despite the circumstances when you're like, you know, having a baby or this tragedy is happening, but there's a part of you that's on fire, seeing through all of it. And you're just enthralled with all the fields of life. And yet you're completely clear and present that there is something it's more like that than, than a state of, of nothing, you know, but you Mm -hmm. almost have to go into the nothing in order for that to open up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you explain that. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't seem as extreme as like what you said, like being off and, you know, monk-like or not talking to anyone for days or weeks on end, which, you know, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think I spent a lot of time on my own as a seeker. And I mean, I don't know what I did in my past lifetimes. I'm not as clear on that as I, I mean, I have a good idea, but it doesn't feel like this is my first go around as doing this kind of study. But I got to a point in my life where I was like, you know, I want to surround myself with people that are studying this, but you know, they're farther along in the path and I can feel like I can do this. And I really feel held by my teachers and the Sangha, the community. I feel like it's, there's a lot of health there and people that have kids, they have worldly lives, but yet they can take time because they really want it. So that's, again, just modeling my school to invite people in that want that sacred lifestyle while in the world. You know, that's really the promise of these teachings is that you can do it. And in fact, there's a really rich, fertile life living to be done. Um, you'll grow a lot more when you're in the world practicing these things than if you're in a cave with nothing to test you. So if you accept that challenge, it's like, let's go. And it becomes a dance and it becomes an adventure. And, um, you know, you don't have to do it alone. Like I said, that there's been so many wonderful people that have come together through the school, through the people that we invite in. And, um, you know, I travel and teach a lot too. So I get to meet all these people around the world. And that's the common thing that ties us together is that we don't want to go live in a cave. We want to be in the world, but yet we want to feel the, 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 the beauty and the magic. And we want to feel touched by something sacred every day, even you know, after the ecstasy, the laundry, that book came out when I was in college. I remember my boyfriend's roommate read it at the time we were talking about this whole concept of, we keep thinking enlightenment means we don't have any work to do. We don't have any, you know, nothing, no bills to pay. Everything's taken care of. It's not that at all. It's like, you just are free from your suffering around it. You, it's a joy. You know, the other day I had to send in my um, school licensure stuff for the state of Minnesota And, you know, there's a lot of work to put that together every year and just lots of red tape and this and that. And, and I was putting in the mailbox and I um, was like, I'm so happy I get to do that because there's, you know, this is the worldly stuff, but again, this is the foundation that supports the fact that I get to show up and educate people who want to learn this stuff. And I'm doing it in a 
ethical way, you know? So let's go. Let's, let's, let's celebrate that. That's so, so inspiring. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. I love how you just describe that. And it's attainable, you know, yeah. and for, for everyone at some point. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and last year was really hard for people, but I feel connected in my joy because I, I, you know, you have to work on it. It's a practice, right? And so despite pandemics and this and that and political stuff and racial stuff and all the things that can bring suffering, it's not that I'm shutting off to that because there is something to be said in the realm of yoga and spirituality about bypassing for sure. And we could talk about that days on end. What I think is really important about what I'm committed to doing in my practice and what I'm committed to sharing is how to interface with your stuff in a sustainable way and how to grow past it. That we can do all the sun salutes we want to on the mat, but if you're not ever looking at your stuff, then what's the point? You know, it's just exercise then. Yoga is where you go beyond the mind, beyond the mind's attachments and free yourself from the chains that you're held by those. And I'm, that's the stuff I'm the most passionate about as a teacher, like helping people see themselves more clearly and to feel that empowerment. I think that's just the best work ever. And that's such an amazing thing to experience. I think Stephanie and I have both kind of started that journey. And, you know, I think it's a journey you don't ever end. But I think even stepping on your mat and doing that physical practice is a good starting point. Because once a person, you know, is doing that practice over and over again, physically, you only naturally kind of go to that next level where you're starting to understand the mental benefits of yoga, and then you maybe dive deeper. And it just kind of, like you said, the little breadcrumbs lead you along the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think so many people more than probably, well, they start yoga practice and it's just different than other forms of physical activity because you're moving your whole body. That's that holistic thing of mind, body, breath. You have to be paying attention to the breath because the breath and the body will help connect the mind to that practice. And then you, you know, one of the things I always tell students is, you know, set an intention for your class today. And, you know, if you don't know what to set the intention for just have the intention that you just feel more like your true self at the end of it than you do now. And it, it works all the time. So it brings us great value to that practice that even if you get on your mat for 15 minutes and do a few moves, you're going to change the landscape of your vision. Your body will create a little bit of that metabolic shift. So you'll start to burn not only, you know, the things that are in your physical body, but it also turns on that kind of mental burning too. And it, it does produce positive uh, value. So it is its own unique thing that's it's supposed to be. No, absolutely. So pivoting a little bit, you know, yeah, you mentioned, obviously we're still in the pandemic and things are challenging. How has your life and in, in your business changed during the pandemic? And I know you were already teaching some programs, I believe via Zoom before we had to completely pivot, but I know you offer amazing retreats around the world. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. <laughs> sure. Well, yes, things went to Zoom and um, we never looked back. And luckily we were already familiar with Zoom. And uh, and I, what it was great is because we were just able to step right into it. I was hosting Rod Stryker last year, one of my main teachers. And he's like, I'm not coming. We're going to do it on Zoom. And I was like, oh, and we still had this place rented. And then they ended up canceling on us, which was great because it didn't, we didn't have to end up paying for that and have that loss. But the point is, is like, great, let's just do it. Let's make it go. Cause I really know that the teachings are the most important thing. You can still practice and 
you can get all that. And even when you're online, you get your the teachers looking at you, you know, so it's a different kind of intimacy. Um, and I do believe the teachings convey because what we're sharing is through voice and voice creates a ripple in your consciousness. And that Zoom is great at doing that. We did have to kind of coach a few people like it's going to be okay. You know, some people are like, well, I'm just going to wait till it's live again. And I was like, I don't think, you know, this is going to be a long time. So we went to that and it's been great and it's allowed us to be more efficient in some areas and offer things to people. Like in my 300 hour now, I have somebody from England and I have somebody from Tennessee and I have somebody from Illinois. And so it brings people together in a unique way for the retreats. For sure. I've had to table those for the most part. I do have retreats that will be hopefully starting up again later this year. There's one up in Wisconsin starting later this week. I usually do a trip to Thailand every other year. I'm planning to do that in 2022. Hopefully part of it is not just travel, but it's also because of the large uh, dependency on tourism for studying Thai massage over in Thailand. A lot of schools have closed down. So I have to kind of work with what's the landscape going to look like for those kind of trips. But um, I have plans for Costa Rica trips and um, possibly a Mexico trip. And I really want to get to Portugal one of these days too. Well, so Marty, I would like to join yeah. you. <laughs> I was <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully yeah. the Art of Living Well podcast will be representing at one of those, one yeah, or more of those Let's trips. do it. Thailand yeah. is high on the list. I know. I yeah. love to it's travel. My- oh, I would just, I travel's like one of my favorite things to do. So to bring the teachings with travel together, it's like, it's, I, I will see myself doing that the rest of my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, it's so good to get out of your home environment because Everything I think that you learn is just so much more powerful. You can take it in without all those distractions mm-hmm. of home. So there's Absolutely. definitely something to be said about doing this kind of work in a, in a different destination. Yeah. And I think you're it just outside difference. of your comfort zone. You're more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, as much yeah. as I like the Zoom, it's, I, I'm so distracted by like the kids coming up and down and you, you can't fully immerse into the experience that you're trying to have. So yeah, it's, there, there's blessings and then there's, you know, some challenges to the current environment, but it's on my bucket list before I turn 50, Tanya. So okay, we're gonna I'm going to be going to one of them. Costa Rica or Thailand are top. Awesome. Top on my list. Good. So Tanya, we love to leave our listeners with some simple tips that they can use kind of immediately to implement into their lives. And I know you've already mentioned a bunch of them. You know, people have spent the last 15 months kind of living through this pandemic. What tips would you share to adopt a more like yoga inspired lifestyle, even if someone, you know, doesn't really consider themselves a yogi? I'll just go back to the idea of what is your intention? What are you committed to? And what are some um, daily rituals that keep you focused on that? And so, you know, everybody has rituals. They're so important for humans. We have coffee rituals. We have iPhone rituals. You know, we have all these things that we do every day, check our email. So we know how to do that. But what are some things that you can bring in that keep you aligned with the things that mean more to you? You know, so that's why I like the gratitude prayer, take a walk every day and you try to do things at the same time too, because that time will build up that kind of extra power and you'll be more likely to do it if you keep that routine going. I even just, I mean, this is so easy, but even just pausing, you know, once, two, twice, three or four times a day and just taking 10 one-to-one abdominal breaths. 
So easy. You can set a timer for that. I think even people with the iWatch or the Apple Watch, they can have something where you can watch it. And that alone, just the momentary pause, the mindfulness, it's a reset for us. And we've, we've become culturally really skilled at just go, go, go. But we're learning and we are, have, have learned it's just not sustainable. So you have, to, you have to start with yourself. And I think simplicity is important. And then rep- repetition. And then reverence. Have some reverence for these simple things that you do and treat them with respect and treat yourself with respect. And it'll be easier for you to coach other people that are going through that too when you actually can master that. I love that. And I, I love how you said to first think of your intention and then set up your daily rituals to focus on that intention. I think that's really powerful advice. I agree. And Marty, you know, you and I talk a lot about morning routines because we're firm mm-hmm. believers in that. But if you just mimic someone else's morning routine, then you're not getting back to your intention and trying to dive into, you know, unlocking your, your higher power, your true self whatever that is. So that's great. Just making that tweak, I think is really powerful. So Tanya, where can people find you and learn all about your amazing workshops, which are now available online. So anyone around the world can experience Devanati and you and all the other wonderful instructors that you bring into your program. Yeah. So you can find us online, devanatiyoga.com. I have my own personal website too, tanyaboygenzon.com. That's where you'll see like if I go guest teach or do certain things outside of my school, they'll be on there. And I also have a, a website called ThaiYogaBodyWork.com, and that's just for the Thai Yoga Bodywork or Thai Massage uh, trainings and programs that I have too. Um, I have a new website that I'll be launching one of these days called Shakti Retreats. And so that'll be a retreats mm. website um, kind of in the service of you know, those kinds of things. And of course, on Instagram, Tanya Boyganzan, Dave and Yoga, and Facebook too. And we'll link all that up in the show notes for everyone. Thanks. As we wrap up our conversation today, one question we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? It means to me, you have impeccable self-care, that you, you treat yourself with respect and you give yourself what you need. And if you don't have the energy to do that, that you, you uh, reach out and ask for help. And so the self-care piece is... Um, it's just so important. And when we take time to nourish ourselves through rest, through exercise, through healthy food, through time alone, whatever it is for us, then we can show up for others more wholeheartedly. We're more present. We have less distraction. Uh, we can stay committed to what's important to us. And we start to move at a pace that aligns with our desire and and we don't miss our intuition. I think that's one of the biggest payoffs is when we take care of ourselves. our intuition really is much louder <laughs> and it's more clear for sure. Mm, that's beautiful. I love how you brought that all together. It really wraps up this conversation so well. Well, thank you so much for having us, Tanya. This has been so fun. And so enlightening. <laughs> so enlightening. There's so many, you have so many workshops to offer every time I get your newsletter and we just highly recommend that everyone signs up. I know Marnie's on it too. I'm like, oh, I want to do this one. I want to do that one. And with it, you know, I'm still going through the yoga program. So it's hard to add on something else, but I can't wait to dive into some of these other more niche areas really soon. Me too. And I I was so close to doing the 300 hour at your studio this year. And then I just decided I had too much on my plate, but it's still 
on my list to do. And I'll be signing up at Devonati when I do do it. Oh, thanks. This has been so fun. Thank you again for the opportunity. And I really love chatting with you guys today. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.